This is episode 82 of The Ship's Podcast with David Klein. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McCandrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ships Podcast. You are all in for a very unique episode today. Unique? How is this episode going to be unique? Well, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with someone by the name of David Klein, who is an entrepreneur, coach, and mentor who works with youth and young adults to inspire them to be the best versions of themselves. After spending over a decade as the founder and executive director of his successful brand, Legends Baseball, David knows that combining strong relationships with positive, holistic programming is the key to cultivating a growth mindset and ultimately unlocking potential. David has created innovative, holistic programming for kids and young adults at every level, from six-year-olds all the way to professional athletes. Since the summer of 2018, David has been hosting digital mindfulness focus groups, workshops, and community events to raise awareness about the harms of digital overuse and to learn how to positively change tech usage habits for people of all ages. David holds a communications degree from UC Santa Barbara with a double minor in exercise and sports studies and technology entrepreneurship. David is the founder and CEO of America Offline, as well as the host of the America Offline podcast. So what makes this episode super unique is that David and I recorded a conversation between us, and we are going to be releasing it on both the Ships podcast as well as the America Offline podcast. So it is a really dynamic conversation that we just recorded, and I think that you are all really going to enjoy. It's going to sound a little bit different from my past episodes of Ships, but I hope that you really take a lot out of this episode. We talk about a wide variety of things. I could talk to David for hours. We talk about how tech companies are preying on our insecurities, how we need to find influential people to talk about these issues. And we also discuss the importance of developing interpersonal skills with offline experiences. We talk about navigating social skills, how social skills build confidence, and how we need to teach students to ask the right questions. At the end of the day, it's all about finding meaning. So if you like this episode with David, please share it with your friends. Tell everyone you know about America Offline. David is doing some really great work with teens, millennials, adults, with a wide variety of different people. So I highly recommend checking him out, especially after this episode. So without further ado, let me please introduce David Klein. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a dual recorded episode between America Offline and Ships. This is David Klein here calling in with Pat McAndrew. Pat, what's going on, my man? Hey, very excited to be here. I'm very excited to do this dual episode. Like we were just talking before, at least I haven't done this yet. So I'm excited to, to see what happens with this dual podcast episode. It's exciting. Definitely. So for all the listeners out there, Pat and I are doing some work together behind the scenes, which will be in front of the scenes soon. And we decided to get on a podcast call today and and just record and just talk and have a free flowing, unstructured, real conversation about life and all things digital wellness. So this is totally uh, unscripted, unplugged, and we're just going to jump on in. What do you think, Pat? Oh, I, I am excited. This is right up my alley, David, because 
I think that conversations like this are super important nowadays. I think that with the advancement of technology, I, th I think technology is becoming more and more enticing and more and more attractive. And there are a billion reasons now to be on our phones because so much is happening on our phones. And so a lot of times it, it becomes difficult for, for people to compete with that. And so I'm a big believer that it's conversations like this that are really truly important and only going to become more important as time goes on. Totally. And they're, they're, more, they're increasingly rare as technology is so integral to our lives. We often are talking on Facebook Messenger and text threads and uh, social media. And it's really difficult to find those, those, those moments where we can just really do a deep dive and have like a deep, meaningful conversation. So this is going to be really fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And, and like, like you said before, it's exciting, the, the behind the scenes work that we're doing and what, what you've built with America Offline. It's, it, there's some really exciting stuff down the line and, and it'll be exciting to, to share it with people and to share it with our listeners as well. Totally. So Pat, I want to let my listeners know, uh, and, and in many ways, maybe some of your listeners needed a little bit of a, an update as to like, in some background on like who Pat McAndrew is. I think you've got a super unique story. And uh, I don't know if there's any other digital wellness folks that, that are quite like you. So I'd love for you to give <laughs> us like your two, three minute elevator pitch or, or story about who you are and, and what's brought you to, to, to today and why uh, you got interested in the whole digital wellness field. Oh man, yeah, that that's a, a definitely an interesting story. Well, and why I love connecting with people like you is that it, with digital wellness, so many people are entering this field in a wide variety of different ways. And so, yeah, like you said, my my way is a, a little unique. I have a background as an actor and performer, and while I was training as an actor and a wide variety of classes that I took. There were exercises that we were doing, and I, I remember thinking in, in this one class, we were doing this, it was like an imaginative uh, exercise where we had to think about a place that we were at and, and imagine being there. And there were a wide variety of exercises that we would do too. And I remember thinking in that moment, oh my gosh, everybody would benefit from these skill sets. We were learning things such as effective communication, active listening, how to focus, how to be present, how to be self-aware and as well as aware of your surroundings. But at the time, I wasn't quite sure how to go about educating people on these skill sets. There's a field called applied theater. And what applied theater is, is using these sort of skills that I was just discussing and applying them to different industries. A lot of people who work in the applied theater field will often teach these skill sets to corporations as a means of team building, will teach improv to a variety of organizations as well as, as a means to enhance team collaboration. And so I knew that these were things that existed. And very much like a lot of people who entered the digital wellness space, I began observing my surroundings and started to see more and more that people were really intoxicated by their phones. They were on them all the time. And I would have conversations with people, even close friends, and I'd be in the middle of telling a story and the conversation would just fall flat there. And you know, my friend would say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I could tell that they weren't there. I could tell that they weren't fully listening. Right. And I picked up Sherry Turkle's book, Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age. And this was really my first step into the digital wellness field. I was very inspired by the book and ended up creating a one man show that is titled Real, R-E-E-L. And this show is all about the importance of, or rather the influence that technology has on human relationships. And I really experimented with that between myself as a performer and the performer's relationship to the audience. And throughout the show, I introduce more and more technology as it goes along. And 
yeah, it's, it's really just supposed to serve as this experience that the audience goes through of having this close friendship relationship with this performer and then it just being completely disintegrated by the end of the show. Mm. Uh, and so I created this show. I then moved to New York. I lived just outside of Philadelphia initially. Did the show in New York City. It went really well. And while I was developing this show, I also created a blog uh, at the time. It was called Lo The Low Tech Trek. And it was a complement to the show in a lot of ways. And I would on that blog talk about my research and talk about my ideas behind how technology is influencing us. And once the show was over, there was still a lot of conversation going on about this. And at that time, and I'm sure you might have felt the same way when you started your work as well, is I felt like I was the only one talking about these things. Mm -hmm. I slowly discovered that there was a community. I started to get to know about the Digital Wellness Collective, the Center for Humane Technology, who are all talking about how technology can better serve people. From writing about these things, I started coaching individuals, primarily career professionals, on how to effectively communicate, how to listen better in the workplace. I had the opportunity to speak at some events. And really, a, a lot of this grew from starting to network with fellow people working in this space. And right now, I was just mentioning before uh, we started recording that right now I'm at a point in my career where I'm in a lot of ways trying to go back to my roots, trying to figure out ways in which I can use my acting and theater background to use the arts, to use media as a way to talk about these issues, to really wake people up in a lot of ways and to, or at least get them thinking about these topics about digital wellness, about their relationship with technology and how that relationship with technology impacts their relationship to themselves and their relationship to others. So starting my podcast, Ships, the Vessels for a Meaningful Life, is very much in line with that, where I'm talking about really as technology is continuing to advance, the importance of connecting as humans, the importance of building genuine and meaningful relationships. So that brings us to today. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very excited to see where this field goes within the next 10 years now that we're at the start of a new decade. Totally. Awesome. Well, Pat, thank you so much for that, that really interesting background that you have. Yeah. Uh, it's and fascinating. I, yeah. I, I would love for, for my fellow listeners to hear more <laughs> about yourself as well. And how did you get into this space and, and what are you up to today? Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to try and keep it. I, I, I don't like talking about myself too much and I could get going a little long. So I'm going to try and keep it as short as possible and sweet for the listeners out there. But so I, I, my background, like yours, was in acting. Mine was actually in sports, particularly baseball. And I'd run a nonprofit baseball organization in the San Francisco Bay Area for a good 10 years. And two, three years ago, I took over the head varsity position at my alma mater, my high school, and started coaching teens. Um, I primarily coached college before that. And, and immediately upon starting to coach the teens in the, the San Francisco Bay Area um, at the high school that I graduated from, I noticed upon my first days there that first off, my seniors and my juniors, they weren't getting their licenses. And I was like, whoa, that's, that is quite strange. Why are their mom and dad, why are their moms and dads picking them up? And I noticed that things were a little different um, as I started to lean in a little bit more. Um, primarily, they weren't hanging out like I used to hang out as a kid. Uh, there was a lack of enthusiasm and support for one another. There was a lack of, in, um, of just general connection amongst teammates, uh, you know, not going and grabbing burgers after the games. It was, it was mainly kids showing up and pretty stressed out and not a lot of conversation. They would show up um, early to practice or, or to the game and they would just kind of plop on the bench and they'd be on their phones. And it was the first thing also that they would do right after uh, games and practices was, was check their devices. And I, I didn't really understand as to why 
why this was all happening, why my teens were so quiet, why they weren't unable to, you know, why they were unable to introduce themselves to me when I walked in the dugout or say, hey, coach, what's up? And, or, or address me and, and come up and say, hey, coach, like, what, what's going on? How, you know, how can I improve my, my, my hitting swing or my mechanics? And so after two seasons, I did 44 one-on-ones with every single player and their parents and wow. found that, and I leaned into their habits and learned that each, that on the most part, each kid was spending about six to 10 hours per day in front of a device. And it made me just start thinking, hmm, maybe this is why my kids are not connected, why they seem to be very, if for lack of a better term, very blah. They were just like, ah, like kind of quiet. And it's, I'm not saying everyone needs to be like this, this alpha, but like there was just no leadership and no connection and no fire enthusiasm to, to compete and work together and grind towards a common goal. So I started to, to, to talk about this as I went around uh, to different conferences and learned that many youth sports coaches were starting to see the same things. Coaching just wasn't as fun because the kids weren't as receptive. They weren't as engaged with each other, with the information, with the game itself as they used to be. They were much more interested in, in seemingly other things. Um, and so it, that, this was last summer and I went out and so I started to pick up books and reading about this and learning about what was going on with mental health in America, the rising rates, the rapidly rising rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide. And I began to get, began to get very concerned. But I'll tell you, Pat, the big turning point for me was when I was out in Detroit and I was with a family friend out to lunch. And I said, hey, Paige, this was a senior, she was a female, a senior in high school at the time, and said, hey, Paige, like, hey, how's it going? Like, you enjoying your senior year? She goes, and this is word for word. She says, I don't like my senior year. Everybody is stressed out. I literally don't have one friend who isn't on anti-anxiety medication. That was like word for word. I was, and I wow. was like, whoa, that's, that's, really, um, that's really moving in, in not, not a good way. And the next day I had lunch with another family friend. Her name's Jordan. She's now in college, but she was a junior in high school. And they went to different high schools, but same town. And I said, Jordan, Paige told me that everyone out here is like really stressed out. Like what's going on? She's like, David, it's really bad. I've had two friends this year that have already committed suicide. And, we, and I recently saved another friend who ingested a ton of Advil and tried to kill herself. It's really bad. And I was like, whoa. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, planting my flag in the sand, enough is enough. The same types of things that, that my two family friends were likely seeing in their friends, I'm seeing those type of symptoms show up in my teens right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm young enough to know a world without technology, but, uh, but, but or sorry, I'm old enough to know a world without technology, but young enough to really kind of understand teens and understand technology. And at that point, I decided that I was going to dedicate the next chapter of my life to helping primarily teens uh, develop intentional tech usage habits and really be, uh, develop some self-awareness about how to develop a, a healthy relationship with technology, how to develop healthy relationships with themselves and with others and the world around them and uh, spent the entire fall working, um, doing focus groups, community discussions, offline events and retreats to learn about how to create um, curriculum and environments to teach kids uh, and teens and families how to take their life back and how to incorporate technology into their life in a way that is meaningful and that improves their quality of life instead of taking them away from the present moment. So that is sort of my story. Um, and now we're, we're doing offline retreats for, for primarily teens, but we're also looking to do some events for, for millennials and adults and in uh, and, corporate and, and uh, you know, corporate solutions and environments, corporate wellness programs. And we're really excited about, uh, about this whole field and uh, helping people, you know, get some understanding and, and knowledge about what is going on out there in the world of, of digital um, overuse and, and digital wellness. So that is my, <laughs> that is my long story in a nutshell, I guess. You oh, that's, say. that's a great story. I yeah. think what you hit upon, it's the, the rates in anxiety and depression are through the roof, and apparently they just keep raising every single year. And I, th I think that there, you know, a lot of the research is 
I guess not pointing primarily to the to the smartphones and to social media, but that is certainly a factor in yeah. in all these issues that are are starting to happen or that are uh, rather they've always been happening but are now expedited and and happening much more frequently on a larger basis and I look at kids today and really i'm I'm not that much older than them and I can't imagine being in high school with a smartphone and having to keep up with the wide variety of apps and and the the way that people commu- the kids communicate. I I I, <laughs> I can't imagine how tough it must be. I you know when I think about the teens of nowadays, first of all, for for any parents of teens out there, or any teens there that happen to be listening, I I, I want to say that the teens of today, before I say anything more are amazing. They're like little activists. They're super self-aware and very informed, primarily because of technology. And so it's not such a bad thing. I think the teens of today are, are amazing. And you know what? From the, the experience that I've had connecting with teens, Pat, is that they're actually very aware of their technology over usage habits. They're, they're aware of it. They just don't really know what to do about it. Even if they, they, they're trying to get offline, all of their friends are online all the time. So they'd be abandoning their friends. So it's, it's a really tough thing. But the one, the one group, the one demographic that I really am concerned about and worried about is, is young teen girls. Uh, I can't imagine being a 12, 13, 14-year-old female you know, young girl growing up in the world of Instagram nowadays. And it's not a surprise. Well, it is a surprise, but, and it's quite shocking that the suicide rate for girls between the ages of 12 to 14 since 2007 to from from 2007 to 2015, 12 to 14 year old girls, the suicide rate has tripled oh during my that gosh. time. And in 2007 was the year that the iPhone came out. 2012 was was the year that 50 percent of Americans had uh, an iPhone in their pockets. And I just cannot imagine what it would be like to be a 13 year old girl nowadays. And the funny thing is, Pat. Facebook and Instagram, they literally say in the fine print, do not, you know, they say this is not for kids younger than 13, yet the majority of, of, of girls younger than 13 actually have social media. So if we just paid attention to what the guidelines that Facebook and Instagram put out there, then we'd be in a much better way, but we're not even doing that. So, so we're seeing why a lot of these problems are starting to surface. Yeah, this is always a a question that I bring up to myself as well as to others with regards to how much of the responsibility is on the big tech companies and then how much of the responsibility is our own personal responsibility or rather the responsibility of the family of, of the teens. Totally. It's, it's, I don't know if there's an answer. If there is, it's certainly hard to pinpoint it. I mean, I come from, really the perspective of really exercising your own personal responsibility. But when you're 11, 12, 13 years old, <laughs> at least I, I know myself, like there, there's not really a strong concept of that. Ugh, and, yeah. and I'm sh- I can only imagine as parents, it, it's incredibly difficult to enforce certain things or certain rules uh, that are effective. Totally. I mean, I think ultimately, Pat, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's both, you know, a, a tech problem, but also it's, a, it's sort of like an us problem too. It's a little bit of both. And these tech companies, they're, they're preying on, you know, our most basic human desires. You know, the bottom, uh, you know, the bottom part of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like our, our, our desire to be accepted, our desire to be, to fit in, to, to be recognized. And, and they know this. Um, ultimately, we're not going to start to see legitimate change in the field and the climate of digital addiction and overuse, in my opinion, Pat, until we get parents, coaches, teachers, governments, tech companies, nonprofits, everybody on board with this. We can do as much work as we possibly can on our end, but ultimately, I don't think things are going to start to change until the government and tech companies start to get involved. I like to think about it a little bit kind of, kind of like, like cigarettes, to be honest. 
people started smoking cigarettes back in the day and it never used to be an issue. And then once the government and then things started to come out, oh, people are dying because of cigarettes. And it, then the government started to regulate cigarette usage in public spaces. And that was the moment that things started to change. And I think at the moment that the government starts to regulate tech companies, I think that's when we're really going to start to be to see legitimate change. But in the meantime, the efforts that you and I are doing, working with schools, working with individuals, working with, with families, that's I feel like that's almost all we can do. And I'll leave it to Tristan Harris and the Center for, for Humane Tech and, and Common Sense Media and these folks to to fight the battle, you know, with the policymakers and things like that, because it's certainly necessary. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I really agree with you comparing it to smoking cigarettes because even back in the day, very much like today, there would be kids and teens who would see their parents smoke and then think there's no issue with it. And I think there are a lot of parents out there that maybe are not realizing the effect that, I mean, they might be witnessing the effect that tech is having on their kids, but I think they're also having their own struggles with their relationship with technology as well. And then the kids see that and then mimic that behavior. And totally. so, so I'm curious how, while yes, we reach the kids through the parents, through the teachers, it's like, how do we reach the parents and teachers if they're very attached to their devices as well? It's a big, it's a big question. <laughs> it, it's tough, Pat. Like this is this this isn't just about teens. This is or kids. This is this is everyone. Everyone struggles with this. In fact, it's actually the adults. If you if you consider the computer a device which i do adults are spending more time in front of screens than even kids in fact the average adult is spending more time in front of a screen than they are sleeping so they need the education too so all the programs out there all the folks in the digital wellness collective that are educating parents it's certainly necessary but i also think that for some reason there's a lack of programming that is directly teaching parents to directly teach their kids or teaching teachers how to teach their kids and giving them not just not just the education but actually giving them a handbook if you will or a playbook or legitimate actionable practical practical tools that they can implement into their lives to take back their attention uh, so i think at the moment that we you know, as this field starts to unfold, I think it's, it's going to really require us working with parents, working with teachers and coaches and educators to give them tools, not just so that they can manage their own lives, but that they can teach their kids about it too. Ultimately, we're not going to make, create that much change for, for the future generations if we can't change it ourselves. But I think people are starting to get better at this and we're starting to figure out how to have these conversations and how to teach teachers and coaches and, and parents in a way that actually works so that they can empower their kids with the right, right information so that they could, they could begin to, to implement actual change. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And I think that's been the biggest question to figure out is figuring out how to reach these parents, these teachers, really the public in general, how to reach them in a way that will at least spread awareness and at least get them starting to think about, okay, what, what is my relationship with technology like? How is it affecting my brain? And figuring out a way to reach them so that they're going to listen and want to implement change in their lives. Because I think at least from my perspective in working in this space so far, like, like kind of like what you were talking about with the kids before, like people are aware how much time they're spending on technology. They know that, okay, yeah, it's probably not healthy, but they don't really know what to do about it. And I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out in my career is, okay, how can I reach those people in a way that, is going to w awaken their senses and want to have a, an experience that is outside of the digital world because there's so much in the digital world that is attractive and enticing and wanting to reel us in. 
Right. And, and how can we create something that is going to encourage them to step outside of that? And so that's, what, that's why I really believe in what you're doing with creating these offline experiences and allowing people to connect to one another in real time and to share experiences and to share memories together that they will then have for the rest of their lives. We're not going to remember scrolling through Instagram for an hour every day, but mm -hmm. we might, we might remember that hour long campfire at that retreat that we went to 10, 20 years ago, looking, right. you know, looking from the future back to the past. So I, I think there is so much value in offline experiences and figuring out a way to really reach these people in a way that's going to resonate with them. Totally. Pat, if you think back to your childhood, or I, I encourage any of the listeners to think back to like some of the most memorable, special moments from their childhood, my guess is that almost all of those moments were experiences where they were surrounded by people, when they were doing things with people, oftentimes outside or something different than, um, you know, just the regular mundane day-to-day -day type stuff, something exciting, something different, okay? My guess is that those were the memories. There weren't memories about what they were doing on, on video games or on social media or by reading an online article, which is, where, which is not all bad, but that's where we're spending so much of our time. So how can we create situations and environments where we're around more people more often? Now, I think it, because that's where the memories, it's where the good memories, those good times are have. That's where we really have that oxytocin that makes us feel so good when we're yes. in the presence of other people. Ultimately, I think Apple and, and Google and some of the tech companies, they've taken a step in the right direction. I, I, I believe that their intentions are good. I hope their intentions are good. You know, Apple with screen time and Google with their, their well-being app. I think that's a good, a good start. But what we're starting to, what we're seeing is only 10% of users are actually using those functionalities on their phone. They're actually starting to track their screen time. So I think that's a step in the right direction. I also think, Pat, back to your your, you know, your statements about, you know, how can we start to like get the word out there and like capture attention. I do think that there's some possibilities there for, for celebrities, um, whether it be athletes or, or <laughs> the Kardashians or what have you for them <laughs> to, to take the lead. Right. And to start yeah. talking about it. There's actually, if you search online, you could search, you know, um, influencers that have talked about mental health. People are starting to talk about it more and more, whether you're Selena Gomez or Julia Roberts, people are starting to talk about it. So my hope is that by more people, more celebrities, more people in the limelight that are talking about it, people will start to seek out more offline experiences. People will log off more and start to um, look for other types of experiences, which leads me to the last thing is like, let's say, yes, you do realize that this is a big deal. You do realize that it's important for you to get offline. But now what? What do you do when you're offline? Because you grew up spending so much time offline, or sorry, online. So the next thing that we often do with our retreats and our experiences, and maybe this is a good transition to talking about some of the things, some of your, you know, the things that make you feel alive and, and, and rich, Pat, and, and acting. But like, what are things that people can do other than be online? That's not an easy question for some kids, especially nowadays when I sit with kids and I'm like, what else could you be doing besides at nine o'clock at night inside your house instead of being on video games. Oftentimes at first they struggle, but then it's like there's actually an unlimited amount of things that you can do offline. And so yes. how can we find these new hobbies, activities, whether it be improv or playing guitar or painting or photography or gardening or whatever it may be that was better for your brain that allows for better connection with yourself, with others in the world, as opposed to logging on to Fortnite and playing video games for multiple hours. So that was pretty. That was a pretty long <laughs> response there. Yeah, it's yeah, um, yeah. absolutely right, though. That I think with offline experiences, doing something that's tangible, when it's physical with your body, maybe working with your hands, that brings an immense amount of joy. And there's a, a lot of research on that as well that shows the positive impacts that it has on the brain. So if we're talking about participating in sports or participating in the arts, th those things 
have a profound impact on our happiness. Because not only are you developing a skill set that you are then going to be able to take with you the rest of your life, you're at the same time developing skills that require you to oftentimes interact with people and totally. to, to engage with one another. Now, you could be at home practicing guitar by yourself, but then you're able to take that skill and play music with other people. And that's, mm -hmm. that's also a really beautiful thing. And when we're engaging in these sort of social activities, like you said, it releases the oxytocin, but it also exercises our interpersonal skill sets, which I think are only going to become more and more important. I think that as we see more automation, more artificial intelligence taking over a wide variety of very technical type jobs, it's going to be the people who know how to interact with one another, those who have high levels of empathy, those who can really communicate with a wide variety of different types of people. Those are the, the individuals who are going to excel. And I think at this time, it's important to really hit home the importance of these social skills, the importance of these interpersonal skills, because mm -hmm. they're only going to become more important. And it's through offline live experiences, whether you're playing a sport, playing an instrument, whether you're acting in a play or gardening, like you were saying before, it's these experiences that really bring you joy because you're, you are creating something. And there's a lot of joy that comes from creation. It's not allowing us to just consume, consume, consume. I think if we do what from these experiences, if it's, it's much more enjoyable if we then consume something that we created. Like if we make a meal, for example, and then consume it, it, it tastes, or at least hopefully it tastes good. <laughs> and I think an element as to why it tastes good is because you put in the work to do it. Totally. And so I think, I think that there really needs to be a gravitation towards these offline, live, tangible experiences that are outside of our screens. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, Pat. I do a lot of workshops with kids, and I've gone into a number of schools, and I often do these live polls through Kahoot. And one question that I often ask is, is, uh, you know, on a scale of one to five, highly agree versus highly disagree, you know, three is on the fence. I say, how confident are you in your ability to, or sorry, it's, it's, uh, what, you know, uh, my ability, I, I feel confident in my ability to have a quality, deep conversation. And usually two thirds of the time, the teens of nowadays say two thirds of the kids are not confident in their ability to actually have a conversation. And I think that's, that's really, that's, that's tough. That's sad, right? That kids are not, they actually don't feel that they could have a conversation. So yeah. if you can't have a conversation, then, then it's very difficult for you to develop deep levels of empathy for the other person. Cause you're not able to really cut through, cut through the meat and actually get into inside of another person's head and really understand that person. And so when you talked about getting in the workplace, that made me think about this, this, this thought where like the resume and your experiences may get you a job, but it's your ability to relate to others and build relationships that will allow you to progress and get promoted. Yes. And, and it's that emotional intelligence that will allow you to skyrocket um, as opposed to uh, not having that. And the, the, you know, it's just the, the so I, I just think a lot about like how important it is to be able to have a conversation. And if we're not learning these skills as a young kid, these neural pathways begin to shut down and actually atrophy. You could literally see it in an MRI. A kid, his brain is going to look a little different if they're spending six to 10 hours a day on a device, as opposed to a kid who is spending time outside with other kids all the time. So the more time that 
we could have kids learning to converse with others and to the, the capacity for boredom and self-expression and imagination, the better their brain will be and the better it will develop through time and ultimately the better life they will, li they will live and the, and the, the better the relationships um, will be that they can form. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you in that it's important to be able to find these these experiences where you could deeply connect and create things as opposed to just consume. Yes, yes. And I think that a lot of times we forget that interpersonal skills are skills, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that developing social skills, how to read body language, how to listen, how to communicate effectively. I think that these are skill sets just as much as coding for a, a computer or, or engineering or any other highly technical skills. And I think a lot of times it's easy for us to forget that because interpersonal skill sets are so innately human that for those who practice them on a regular basis, it become second nature right. and for those who don't practice them because it's an innately human thing it's hard to see if they even exist or you just don't think much about them right and so whereas when you get to the root of it it really is kind of like what you just said interpersonal skill sets are really the heart of everything when you go in for a job, it's going to be your interpersonal skill sets that keep you in that job and that progress you in within that company, as opposed to being really good at a technical skill set. Now, ideally, of course, it would be great if your interpersonal and your technical skills were great, but it's going to be, uh, people like to work with people that they like. Mm -hmm. And even though I think it's healthy for people to have difference of opinion and to disagree and to engage in that sort of discourse, that's a whole other conversation of being able to have, have real authentic conversations with people that you disagree with, as opposed to just shunning them away and saying, I hate you or yeah. something like that. That's, that's a whole other conversation, mm -hmm. but being able to interact with people in general, whether it's people you agree with, disagree with people that are completely from different backgrounds. Those skill sets are the ones that at least I believe are really going to not only get you far in life, not only achieve whatever form of success or whatever success means to you, but at the end of the day, it's going to make you a happier person. Totally. You're just going to be more confident in your ability to, to, to navigate social situations. One of the things that I started to see a lot in my coaching, uh, Pat, was that kids had a very difficult time enacting what I like to call safe conflict, which is where something comes up that bothers you, whether it was someone who said something that insulted you, or maybe you're not getting the playing time you wanted, or um, there's just some drama within the team. I found that kids will oftentimes either totally disregard it and just push it away and just not address it and allow it to bubble up because they didn't have the ability to navigate and diffuse the situation and address it and express themselves. Either that or they're going to go home and they're going to text about it and they're going to try and diffuse it that way. Or the worst and the most toxic thing that seems to be happening and seems to be infused in our culture is that they will oftentimes go to mama and dada and have them solve the situation for them simply because they don't have the the, um, the confidence and the interpersonal skills that would allow them to diffuse the situation and work through it in a meaningful way. And so these problem solving skills is, to your point, is, is one area of, of interpersonal skills that I recognize is really, um, is, is you're not, we're not seeing that as much as we used to. And uh, I think it's scary and you're right. It's a skill that needs to be learned. Yeah. And to kind of go off of what we were talking about before, it's, I think it's pretty ironic that a lot of times in high schools, uh, specifically in low-income areas, that a lot of times arts and sports, they're the first programs to be cut. But I would argue that it's those type of programs that will lead to 
a high level of success in adulthood totally. because because it, it's when you are playing football you're not just playing football when you're when you are rehearsing a play you're not just rehearsing a play there's a lot more skills and uh, there's a lot more going on there right and if there if there's some way of of expressing the importance of that and and really channeling that through the digital age that that's what i'm all about is is really like figuring out a way to really teach these skill sets in a way that is going to be engaging for the teen for the kid and even for adults as well right and look you know no great companies great fortunes or you know anything of of real meaning pat has been created by teams by 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 people you know great plays right They're, these are by teams these are by people collaborating and working together but if we don't we don't know how to do that and we're not confident in our ability to work together in teams then the ability to create something meaningful and special and be fulfilled through our creation it's it's going to be a lot more difficult and so a lot of this work that that I do is is teaching people how to work together in a more meaningful way, um, whether it be in corporate environments or team environments, um, but how to collaborate in a way that, that we, you know, we could really build something special together. I'm curious, Pat, how do you, how do you, how do you find as far as it goes with like, with theater, how does, would, how would theater improv improve one's ability or one's, uh, skill set as far as collaboration? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when you are putting up a play, you have a wide variety of different characters. Sometimes if you have a, a small play, you know, it might be only a couple of characters, but depending on the play that you work with, it's a team of people. And it's not only just the actors, but it's also the director, the playwright, the the lighting designer, the sound designer, the set designer. There's a lot of people working in this space and you're all working towards a common goal of putting up a production that is going to impact an audience. And on a lot of ways, even though the audience is only there for one night and then the next night it's a different audience, that audience also plays a role in putting a production. So you know, just speaking from my own experience as an actor, although I have worked in the other mediums in some form within the theater industry, when you're performing on stage, you're required to be more present, <laughs> at least in my experience, was more, more present than probably I've, I've ever had to be because you're not only having to get a, a good grasp of who you are as a character, but you also have to actively listen to your scene partner you have to be aware of what's happening on the set. What, what kind of set, what kind of playground are you working on? You also have to be aware that the audience can see you, that the audience can hear you. So there are a lot of working elements going on when you're performing in a show. And the moment that you lose focus on, on top of all of that stuff is that like you're, you're also trying to put on a performance that the audience is going to believe the audience right. is going to be able to escape into this other world. And if you're not focused, if you're not present, then in a lot of ways, in my opinion, it, it kind of ruins it for everybody. Mm. And so it really, it really forces you to exercise these critical skills that come to, that come to really interacting with people and having uh, a, a high level of self-awareness. And what's always exciting is bringing these sorts of practices into the workplace or, or working with people who may not be in a theater and applying it, kind of what I was talking before about the applied theater field, it's applying it to whatever business or activity that the company or organization or whoever you're working with might be working on. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot about traditional learning environments and, and how they're so antiquated right now, right? I mean, we have, we have oftentimes a, a teacher just depositing knowledge into kids' brains and the kids are depositing knowledge onto a Scantron, 
okay? And we know that this is not the way kids are learning. This, this setup was, was how things were set up for like assembly lines in the industrial revolution. This is where it got started out, started out. So I think a lot about like experiences and experiential learning as being a great way to teach and improv and, and, and comedy and humor and acting and live action role playing is such a great way to immerse yourself in learning. And so if we could figure out how to maybe, you know, apply theater more to learning, I think it's going to make things a lot more interesting and allow things to stick. So what we do in our offline experiences with teens is we do a lot of um, thinking on our feet and live action role-playing type things because uh, it, it, uh, it's a lot more memorable and a lot more meaningful. They're immersing themselves into an experience where they have to be in a state of flow. They have yes. to think on their feet. They have to, they can't, they can't, be distracted by notifications or or allow their mind to wander because they're they they rely on others others are relying on them to to give and receive cues and so um this whole idea of of immersing yourself in like an experience whether it's uh, a live action role playing or or an improvisational experience i think it's a really healthy way to teach and to and it's just a great thing for your brain as well Oh yeah, it's a heightened form of play. Yeah, when we're th we think about when we're kids, and my my biggest heartbreak is that I I, I you know I, I feel like probably a lot of kids might be missing out on these experiences. Hopefully, some of them still aren't. But when you're a kid and you're playing, you have no concept of time. You're really lost in what you're doing. You're having fun and we need we need more of that in this world right now because there's so many developmental things that are happening when a child is at play and there there's an element of fun and and that's i think a really important concept and idea to run with is that with offline experiences like with what you're doing with America offline is creating experiences that yes the kids are going to learn and grow from it but they're going to learn and grow because they're engaged because it's fun right and because it's a heightened form of play and really we and i'm a big believer that we learn while we're playing and because we're learning while we're playing we partially don't even realize that we're learning and so right. it's when we're playing it, it sort of works on us in this subconscious way that, like you said before, we're able to retain the information easier and then therefore remember it down the line. We're able to remember that experience and remember what we learned from that experience. And that is light years away from what you just mentioned about a, a teacher uh, you know, lecturing knowledge and then that knowledge just being translated onto a scantron that the student fills out. And then after that scantron is done, after that test is done, the information is forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it's how can we teach kids how to ask the right questions instead of just always giving them the answers, right? Yes. You know, how, how, like, all their answers are at their fingertips nowadays. If I want to know who was the president in 1910, I mean, do I really need to memorize that anymore? I could just look it up. So it should be more of like finding meaning and learning to ask why and drawing meaning out of like history or, and, and, and finding more purpose there as opposed to just memorizing facts. Like let's let's cut let's cut through the, the the fat a little bit let's 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 get into more of the meaning, um, and learn how to ask questions. I think that's super important nowadays. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think to go off your point before, there really needs to be a change in how we educate students, and it's tough because obviously all students learn differently, so we can't necessarily find a system that is going to work for all students. But with that definitely need to introduce more diverse ways to teach within the current system 
and have classes be different or have classes in the way that they're taught be different in order to encourage that sort of learning process. Yeah. And it's kind of scary, Pat, because like you, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of schools and a lot of principals. And honestly, it's like, it's almost like a badge of, of honor when they say, oh my God, like our school is like one-to-one iPad to kid, but they're not really realizing that the research is starting to surface and it's showing that kids actually do not learn better or retain information better with a screen. They don't. They retain information better when they're, than they're, when they're going through an experience, when they're having fun, when they're fully engaged. A lot of kids are starting to express um, problems with, with their eyes, problems with posture, problems with focus, because they're having to learn on iPads, because they're having to um, enter all their work through Google Docs or Google Classroom. And so a lot of schools are starting to adopt this one-to-one iPad thing. But then at the other end of the spectrum, we're also seeing a lot of schools, particularly here in the San Francisco Bay area that are actually moving away from devices in schools. They're actually getting, doing the yonder pouches where they have to lock their phones up at schools. So I think things are starting to progress in the right way. I would venture to, um, to bet that in in 10 years, we're going to start to see uh, definitely there's going to be technology in the classroom, but I think we're going to be a lot more, uh, mindful about how that technology is being disseminated in the classroom. And it's not going to be a one-to-one iPad thing. Imagine a two-to-one iPad thing where kids work together on an iPad. So they're actually communicating face-to-face with someone and working together as opposed to just being in your little silo one-on-one with an iPad. So I, th- I think these are the types of advancements right. that we need to start to look at as far as education goes. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I I really believe that, or at least I hope that there's some sort of of change like that that happens in the future. That really, I think it all comes down to go off your point before, it comes down to being intentional. And a lot of us, we haven't been super intentional with the way that we're using technology. And I think if we could get more intentional with regards to how we use technology for ourselves, how we use it within our families, how we use it at our schools, at our jobs, at corporations, also with government too. I think if we could get more intentional about the ways in which we use it, then it could have a really powerful effect on ourselves as individuals, but then also us as a society. Totally. I I don't know if it was... um... Andrew Dunn with Cienpo, or I forget exactly what it was, but there was some app. I think it might be the space app that before you, it, you put it on your phone and before you open any app, it, it asks you like, what is your intention? And I think it's important for us before we do, and it's not just our app interactions, it's, or, or our technology interactions, it's before we do anything. Even before I got on this, this, this podcast with you, Pat, it's like, what is, what is our intention? So if we can just learn the skill of just taking a deep breath and slowing down and before we do anything, whether we're eating a meal, we're giving a presentation, we're having a conversation, what is our intention here before we move forward? I think we're going to be a lot more fulfilled in our work and and we're going to spend our time a lot more wisely. Um, and I think oftentimes technology, it pulls us away from what our intentions are because it's preying on our, our, uh, our, our, just our human, just our human nature of, of, like I said, of just wanting to be accepted, wanting to be seen, wanting to be recognized. And that's oftentimes why we are going onto social media and scrolling and posting and checking how many likes and doing things that we are not necessarily intending to do because they're not really serving us. So if we could just take a deep breath and step back and look at what, why am I, what am I intending to do with this 10 minutes that I'm spending on Instagram? If it's serving you in a way and you have an intention, then great, that's fine. But if, and if it's just entertainment, maybe that's fine too. But if we're spending 30 minutes scrolling, maybe, and, and we didn't, and it was mindlessly scrolling and it's taking the, it's taking place of something that we wanted to do, something that would serve us, then that, that's when things become a little bit problematic. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And 
I'm very interested just to see how things will evolve now that there is a conversation happening around digital wellness, around mindful tech use, and about creating tech that is really for people as opposed to tech industries trying to you know, have us follow their agenda and take us off of our own agenda and follow theirs by you know, really making it very enticing and intoxicating to stay on, on our smartphones. I, I mean, I think there's huge opportunity, Pat, for tech companies, small, big, medium, doesn't matter, to develop ethical technologies, to develop technologies that, you know, what Tristan Harris would consider time well spent. I think those companies that, that are actually paying attention to the, 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 the real outcomes, the outcomes that people want, those are the technologies that at the end of the day are going to stay around and they're going to win out. So I'm curious, like you are, as to who is going to be at the forefront of developing these ethical platforms to improve quality of life. Uh, I think that the meditation apps, um, things like that, those are, those are great applications of technologies for good. Um, so it, like I'm, I'm very, you know, we'll see what happens here in the upcoming years, but there's certainly a lot of work to be done, but I think we are trending in the right direction. Yes, Absolutely. Well, David, it was very great chatting with you. I know we, we could probably talk for, for hours about all this, <laughs> all this stuff. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, even before we were recording, we were, we were chatting for a while. Um, but uh, before, before we stop recording and sign off, I'm wondering if for uh, my listeners from the Ships podcast, I'm wondering if you could just share where our listeners could find out more information about you and America Offline. Yeah, you can check us out at americaoffline.info. We're also on, ironically, all over social media, trying to uh, spread the word about all of our work. So you just look up America Online, or oh, sorry, Offline on Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at david at americaoffline.info. I love hearing from people. Uh, we're doing a number of offline retreats throughout the course of 2020. I am beyond for young adults, adults in general, and teens, and also doing some speaking engagements in workshops. So I'd love to hear from, from anybody if this, uh, this, this podcast made an impact. Great. Awesome. Well, and, and specifically for the ship's podcast, I'll make sure to include all that great stuff within the show notes. So our listeners out there can just, Scroll down and click all those links and, and shoot you an email as well, hopefully. Thank you, Pat. And likewise for you. I love what you're doing with the Ships Podcast. And I know you've got, you're doing some incredible work. Where can people learn a little bit more about the work that you're doing and maybe access, access some of your content? Yeah, absolutely. The best place to go would be patmacandrew.com. So on there, you'll be able to find information about the podcast, information about my blog, as well as information about speaking engagements, what you know my speaking engagements usually entail. And yeah, and there's a contact link on there. So if you're interested in either meeting up with me or, or having me speak at an event, just feel free to shoot me a message. I like David, like in your case, I, I always love just hearing from people who are very passionate about these things and are looking to make a change in either their lives or within their communities. Awesome. Pat, this was fun. Let's keep the conversation going. And all the listeners out there for the Ships Podcast and for America Offline, we thank you for stopping in and checking out the shows. Yes, thank you, everybody. Take care. Have a good day. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with David and myself. There was a lot that we discussed in this conversation, a lot about how technology is impacting our relationships, how technology is impacting the way that we feel, and also the importance of developing strong interpersonal skills, specifically in our digital age. So I hope that you are able to take at least one nugget from this conversation and implement it into your own life. So David, thank you so much again for joining us on the SHIPS podcast. If you liked this episode, 
please subscribe, share it with a friend, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing episodes with amazing guests and insightful messages. So if you're able to support, just scroll down in the show notes and click the link provided. If you're interested in having me as a speaker at an upcoming event of yours, feel free to head on over to patmacandrew.com and send me a direct message there. I love talking at conferences, schools, corporate events, you name it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Ships. I really appreciate all of you taking the time to be mindful, to really have this opportunity to think about your relationship to yourself, to others, as well as to technology. So I will catch you all in the next one.